Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is a book episode, thank God, that means it will hopefully be not as crazy as that last sports episode. That was a really long sports episode and then I tried to keep it short when it comes to books and only discussed the actual like news And then you surprised us by reading 40 books this week. I did not. Oh, man. If I could read 40 books a week, how different would my life be? You wouldn't sleep is my only understanding of that concept. (laughs) Look, if I could not sleep and read more, I would, but my body doesn't function that way. I still think the greatest thing I've ever said was if you could sacrifice breathing in order to read faster, you would. But alas, that's not how my body works. Yes. In the news... As far as the books go. On Sunday, July 25th, Aubrey Plaza announced via Twitter that she has co-written a children's book with Dan Murphy. The book is titled The Legend of the Christmas Witch. No one's surprised by that. Yeah, she's kind of always put off that that darker vibe, so I'm not shocked at all. The book is illustrated by Julia Iredale. The story follows the long-lost sister of Santa Claus, a witch named Christorn. It's a Nordic name, so I probably said that wrong. Basically, Santa was torn away from his sister when they were children, and she was raised by a witch in the woods. Both Christorn's magical powers and temper grow as she gets older. Eventually, she is determined to find her brother and sets out on a dangerous journey across the sea. What I like about this is that Plaza is set to record the audiobook version herself, so that's that's probably neat. That's an interesting take. And the book is set to release October 12th and is available for pre-order now. Like, it sounds pretty dark, but it's supposed to be for, like, four to eight-year-olds. Right, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think it's going to be what children think witches are and not, like, what we think as a witch nowadays. I would Us hope older so. people. Yeah. So it's going to be more like a Buffy, or not Buffy, Jesus. A Buffy Santa Claus. Witch. I'd be down for that. I, that wasn't what I was going for, but that that works. <laughs> but it's coming out early enough that you could read it for Halloween. But also, is it Christmassy enough to read for Christmas? I don't know. That's kind of a good question. It's yeah. kind of in that weird in-between. Well, it's like the Nightmare Before Christmas in that it's like Halloween and Christmas together. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with everyone right now. I haven't seen that movie. Uh, I have failed you, listeners. I'm sorry. That's usually everyone's reaction when they find out. Also, Harry and Meghan have signed a $20 million deal with Penguin Random House for four books on leadership and philanthropy. Who knows what any of that actually means? As of now, there's not a lot known about these books. It seems like they're doing just fine without, you know, their ties to the British monarchy. But there will be a memoir released next year. A second book is set to be held back until after the Queen dies, which makes me question what that one's about. Megan will pin a wellness guide as part of the contract with Penguin Random House. So that's book three, I guess, out of the four. They don't know what the fourth one is, or even which one of them is writing it. I feel like they'll probably sell well, especially that weird unknown one that won't come out till after the queen dies. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering what that's going to be about. It's obviously going to have something in it that they don't want her to know about, but it's like... Or something that she doesn't want getting out, and then she's going to die, and it's like, you have no say anymore. Or it's so bad that they don't want to release it until after she dies because they don't want to be responsible for her death. You think they could write something so horrible it would make the queen literally die? <laughs> Possibly. It's clearly the risk. I guess. We could keep going with the oars. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. but As far as adaptations go, I have two pieces of adaptation news. Amazon is set to produce the series adaptation of Jenny Han's YA rom-com novel, The Summer I Turned Pretty. The cast will be led by Lola Tung as the main character. Her unrequited love will be played by Christopher Briney. The series is set to be co-produced by Amazon Studios and WIIP, which I don't know what that is or how to pronounce it. Weep, whip, wipe. W-I-P-P? W-I-I-P. O-I-I-P? Wipe. <laughs> That's probably not accurate. Weep. I don't know. That's a tough one. The author Jenny Han will serve as the showrunner alongside 
Gabriel Stanton. Han is also set to write the pilot episode, but there is no official release date yet. The book was released in 2009 and tells the multi-generational story of a girl as she recounts the summer she spent with her mom and brother, as well as her mother's best friend and her sons. I liked the Laura Jean book, To All the Boys I Loved Before, that's what it's called. And I also liked the movie of that, but I don't know how I would feel about that. The title is off-putting to me. Okay. Through the 2021 lens. But it did come out in 2009, so. And the other piece of adaptation news is that Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, which was originally published in 1993, is set for adaptation. Garrett Bradley will direct the film. Parable of the Sower is set in a near-future L.A. that is devastated by societal collapse. The book follows a teenager with a unique gift and who has to lead humanity's battle against extinction. The film will be produced by Paul Mezzi. I don't know who that is. but I was going to say, you looked at me like I know who that is, and I'm like, um, no. You watch way more movies than me. you got to know somebody. I do know somebody, but not that body. <laughs> but I just tried to keep the news super short, super sweet, because it's got to balance out that sports episode. <laughs> But I did put together 10 questions for us to discuss in the tag section. Two of them are not book related and eight are. So I did give them to you in advance. So none of these should be a surprise. If they are a surprise, someone else didn't do their homework and not me. I forgot how to read. That's my issue. I really cannot help you with that one. Or the cat ate the text message. I feel like that's not good for teeth. Probably not. The first question is, what's your favorite song to listen to when you're sad? I don't know that I have, like, a specific song necessarily that I'm like, this is my go-to. They're all sad songs. Oh, everything's so sad. No, the reality is I have a tendency to go to, like, ska music just because it's happy, upbeat music. So, like, it distracts me from it, I feel like. So you're one of those people who, when you're sad, you want to listen to happy things so that you don't, like, dwell in it? Yes, I don't, like, fall into the deep wells of depression, I, you know. You're not going to like my answer, then. Okay. Because I said, Remember to Feel Real by Armor for Sleep. I don't know that song, but I'm sure if I heard it, I would know. I've definitely played the song for you before, but it's very, like, in your emotions, and it's talking about how, like, if I do all these things for you, but you do nothing for me, and, like, I feel terrible in this, like, friendship we have. Yeah. Basically. And I found that in college when I was at a low point. And like, anytime I'm super upset, I'm like, I should play that song. (laughs) So I can dwell in it for some reason. Because we all know that's healthy. I'm not the only person who does this, okay? Oh, I'm sure you're not. It's a common reaction to emotions. Yeah. My thought was that you were going to go back to some like middle school emo band or something along those lines, but I guess not. But kind of. Kind of, I guess. I, I mean, I would put them in a category with bands like almost like Sleeping With Sirens, but not quite. So yes. Almost like There For Tomorrow, but not quite. So yes. So far, the comparisons, you're just nailing them right on the head. Mm-hmm. But like, I also put if it's like something that I want to be angry about instead of sad about, I also listen to like metal music sometimes. I'm sad. I don't like feeling emotions. Rage. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But into the book questions, who is a side character you think should have gotten their own novella? So this one was a tough one for me because there's a lot of them that I'd really like to see get an option, like an extension of that. Right. I I wanted to go with one actively that I'm, I obviously just realized is a possibility is Ace Anarchy. I'd like to see like his childhood coming up. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that would be like a cool pre-book to Renegades. But then again, that would probably ruin the fact that, like... Everything yeah. was Renegades, yeah. Well, not everything, necessarily, but, like, it could give you a prequel into, like, the world during the Age of Anarchy. Right, right. And then stop. Like, right before, like, the final battle, just be like, don't... Just because then you'd have to read the next book, Renegades, to figure that out. Yeah. So I said, most recently, the Grandma in the Sugar Creek series by Jenny B. Jones. She's an ex-CIA agent, tough as nails grandma. I knew this. 
And like, I love it and like, I want it. And like, I'm not talking about her CIA days when she was in the field or whatever. I want a novella of her as a tough grandma. (laughs) Okay. In this tiny little town in Arkansas where nothing happens. Like, it's hilarious. It does sound pretty hilarious. Well, like, in the first book, she's talking about how she got in the middle of some gang activity, blah, 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 blah. And then the mayor of the town's like, I thought you said it was raccoons. And she's like, terrorists, all of them. (laughs) That's the raccoons are terrorists. (laughs) I love her so much. The next question, BookTube didn't make me read it. What's something you picked up without seeing it on BookTube and what got you to read it? I would say, honestly, most of the books I've read aren't really related to BookTube. Like, I feel like that's not something I run into a pickle too much of. I don't watch much BookTube, so that also helps the cause. Like, the only times I watch it is when you watch it, and Mm. I'm home, which is not often. We might, like, get a crisscross of maybe a video a day, if that. Yeah. I don't really have one for this necessarily, just because I think almost all the books I read are not And the answer for what made you read it or what got you to read it is obviously me. Well, that's not always true either. Obviously, I had books that I read for school and so on and so forth, but yeah. I said that most recently for me was Teen Titans Raven, which I picked up because you suggested I get it for my birthday when we were shopping. But I'm also going to say right when I first started watching BookTube, I found The Valiant by Leslie Livingston. I picked it up shortly after it came out and like no one is or was talking about this book, which is a mistake because it's a good series. It's about female gladiators. And really, what more could you want? It's true, I guess. For the next question, TLDR, what is an adaptation you watched before reading or without reading the source material? What I watched like a movie before is my understanding of that one. What you watched without reading the source material. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to say Harry Potter's movie two through four. I read the book before I saw movie number one, but then I didn't keep reading them. Right. Just because I got to a great level where they started assigning books and not letting you read whatever you wanted for your things. So uh, it kind of came to a screeching halt and I still went and saw the movies. So yeah. I said for me, it was The Old Guard. And that was just because by the time I found out about the movie, the comic was backordered for literally months. Yeah. And I'm actually glad that I watched it first and then read it. What is one of your favorite collectibles or knickknacks from your bookshelves? We've got, if, if you ever come to see us or we ever decide to take this to YouTube, you will know that we have far too many knickknacks in our library. That is accurate. Um, I would argue we just don't have enough bookshelves. Yeah, that's your normal argument for everything. Isn't it? I would say it's probably between a cardinal that I got when my grandmother passed away on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. And it has ties back into my grandmother on my dad's side because... She was a Cardinal fanatic. She had Cardinal stuff everywhere. That, and then, like, my nerdy side is probably the Green Hornet and Kato pop figures that are still in the box. Yeah. I think they're the only pop figures we still have in the box. Well, because I got it for you, and then you didn't want to take them out of the box. Yeah. Everything else pop figure we take out of the box. Yeah. Which is, like, sacrilege based on what I hear from some people, but who cares? They're for enjoyment. I'm not going to sell them, so whatever. Yeah. But speaking of the Funko Pops, my answer is the Luna Lovegood pop figure where she's wearing the little lion head on there. That's my favorite. Yeah. But we also have photos that we took. They're in frames. And then we have all sorts of like different stuffed penguins and giraffes. Yeah. And bears and lions. Do we have tigers? No. Oh, dang. Most of the stuffed animals I did not buy myself. So gotta say. Yeah, we won a couple of them, I think, and then bought a couple others, and other ones have kind of just stumbled upon us over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Who is a love interest you would have broken up with? This is another hard one for me because I don't really visualize myself being in a relationship with anybody that I've read book-wise. Like, I couldn't see myself for the most part. Considering we've read mostly YA, that's probably a good thing. I'm saying, like, even trying to compare it to, like, when I was in the right age right, group, right. obviously. But it's just, I am i wouldn't attach myself to anybody. I say Katniss Everdeen because I feel like it would just be a pain in the ass to be in a relationship with her because there's always something going on. But I feel like it's just, it's not somebody that I would ever put up with because it's just, there's always something going on. Well, is it Katniss's fault that things keep happening around her? Like, is it Harry's fault that things keep happening around him? No. Yeah. For both of them, so... I said for me, probably David from the Truly Devious series, mostly because he's a garbage human being. 
Like, <laughs> I like some of the stuff he does against his father, but, like, he doesn't do any of his schoolwork, and he flakes out all the time, and, like, he lets his emotions decide what he's gonna do on a day-to-day basis, and, like, I can't with that. He's... I wouldn't say he's toxic, but it's like he has no grounding. Yeah. I couldn't. Absolutely not. What is a book that you were forced to read that you ended up loving? Well, it was a stipulation to our marriage, so Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't get it done before we got married like I was supposed to, but it's still done. I should have held out and not gotten married to you till after you did it. Yeah. I don't know that that would have been the best decision for you. We would still be engaged right now. Yeah. Probably. I don't know that that's true either. <laughs> if, it, if you made me wait that long, I'd be like, listen, we're going to the courthouse. You don't have a choice. No actual <laughs> fancy wedding. I said Minute Arms by Terry Pratchett. I had to read it for a science fiction and fantasy class that I took in college. And I ended up really loving it and like the absurdist nature of that world. I really do need to read more Terry Pratchett. I just never know where to start. I was say there's a lot of options. Well, the disc world is giant, and supposedly you can start anywhere, but nah. Start from the first book and work your way up, let's be honest. Yeah. Who is one of your favorite bookish couples? And I'm already going to say I have more than one. I figured. I have more than two and three and Six and 12. And this is where we go up a thousand bars. (laughs) Realistically, the one that came to mind immediately was Ron and Hermione. I think that they're just that like opposite enough to be like the opposites attract thing. But not so opposite that it's like constantly clashing. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was just the right healthy balance of it. And I I really liked that. I, I feel like a lot of relationships I've been in have also kind of had that. So yeah, that's why I kind of attached to it, I guess. For me, I said Rowan Whitethorn and Aelin Ashriver Galanthinus from the Throne of Glass series. That's a mouthful. Isn't it, though? Isn't it, though? That's not our only name. And then Kaz Brecker and Inej Gaffa, even though they don't really technically become a couple, but, like, there's mutual pining sort of going on, and, like, that is my jam. Like, that trope, I will take it all day, every day. Thank you. Also, my heart is also super soft for Nikolai Lantsov and Zoya Nazjalensky. And, like, I did not like her in the Shadow and Bone series, the first three books in the Grishaverse. But something happened towards the end of King of Scars and throughout Rule of Wolves where I'm like, I can get behind her. I like her. So just, again, with the mutual pining. I really don't like that term because I don't understand it half the time that you say it at first. And then my brain's like, oh, got it. And then the last one I wrote about was Ian O'Shea and Wanderer from The Host. And like there are a couple really heartbreaking moments at the end of The Host. And it just like tears you apart. And like it's related to circumstance and not like problems the couple is having. So I always prefer it that way. That's fair. What is your most recent book purchase? Uh, so mine was on our Austin trip. Yes. It would have been Foundryside was my most recent purchase, but I know that you've picked up books since then. Well, I ordered books coming up in series. So the first one was Teen Titans Beast Boy, because I had already read the first one, and Waking Gods by Sylvain Nouvelle, which is the second book in the Themis Files. I know about the Beast Boy thing a little bit, but I haven't read the comic itself, so... Yeah. And the last question is also a non-book question. What is your most played song slash album of the year so far? I tried to look up song, but because we share a title account, you play a lot more music from it than I do, as I realize. Yes. So most of my songs are not on there. Um, <laughs> but uh, the album... were mine? I couldn't even tell you to save my mm. life. I just know that none of mine were anywhere near the top 10, so I was like, well, all right. But I pulled up an album that I liked and I've really been listening to a lot. I feel like more often than any other album I've pulled would be No Pressure by Logic. It was one of the last albums he released before he took a year's hiatus of just creating anything. So it was a lot of stuff that was created from previous albums that he just never really recorded, and then he recorded them and they were all phenomenal, so it was just like, boom. But uh, the album itself was recorded in 24 hours. So everything was recorded and then edited, obviously, afterwards, but recorded within 24 hours. That is bananas. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool album to listen to, for sure, for that reason alone. 
I said probably Sour by Olivia Rodrigo based on what I feel like I've been listening to for the last few months. Facts. <laughs> I can attest because I've also probably listened to that more than the one I just spoke about. But but also probably Evermore by Taylor Swift because that's supposed to be her representation of like fall and winter and like that song or album just really spoke to me. Especially the song Nobody No Crime. Anyone that is a true crime fan probably has that on a playlist somewhere because that's an amazing song. But that was the tag section. It was interesting. It took me a little while for some of them. I know you just sat there and were like, are you done yet? I'm like, no, I'm still <laughs> working on this. I tried to find questions from tags that I felt like we could both answer. Yeah, I think you did an okay job of finding that. Well, that is my aim, to always do an okay job. Is it because you're from Oklahoma that everything is okay? Absolutely not. As for what I've been reading, I would say I did another oopsie, but at this point, that's just normal. So, whatever. <laughs> is it an oopsie anymore if it continues to be oopsies? It can only be a mistake so many times. Right. And then it's just a pattern of behavior. <laughs> the first book I read was Loved You Once by Claudia Y. Bergoa. It's book number one in the Baker's Creek Billionaire Brothers series and a 2020 release an adult contemporary romance. It's one of the books from that 10 book anthology that I mention all the time that I bought earlier in the year. I rated this one 3.25 stars, so considering what I've rated the other ones in this anthology, it's actually something I really enjoyed. I would have rated it higher, but the last few chapters and the epilogue kind of ruined it for me, so it was rocking like a 4.25. And then the last few chapters and the epilogue just whoop. Nosedive. In this one, Blair's life is turned upside down when she is called in for the reading of her ex-father-in-law's will. For Blair or any of the billionaire brothers to receive their inheritance, they must move to the small town they were raised in for 18 months and put their lives on hold. And I said this one's a second chance romance. Because it's not really her ex-father-in-law, it's his son died. So whatever you would call that. I don't know what the right term would be for that. Blair became a widow and then disconnected from the family. So I don't know what you would call that. But I really enjoyed it. She is falling in love with one of the brothers. And apparently the series is going to go for every brother to have a romantic relationship inside it. So you're going to see from the will reading all the way out through the 18 months. Though this book just covered the will reading up to the start of the 18 months. So like the month they had to prepare to spend 18 months in that small town. And, you know, it's got rich people drama, which a lot of people, including myself, like to read about. It's got wills with weird stipulations in it, which apparently I like, as we discovered last year. So it was a a little bit. It was a solid 4.25 stars. And then in the last couple of chapters, it fell into third act stuff that I don't like. And it also fell into the like societal norms and expectations of people who are together in romantic relationships. Like you have to get engaged and pregnant and all this other stuff. And it all happened so fast because this book happens within like 30 days. Just no. (laughs) And a lot of romances like to do that where it's tied off in a neat pretty bow where they're engaged and pregnant and whatever. No. I would have rather it had ended on a note more like, and now we get to do this stupid thing and live all of your brothers and myself in a house in the middle of nowhere for 18 months. And isn't this going to be annoying because all of you have weird personalities, but... Yeah, instead of it just being like, and we're done. And... And then she's pregnant, and then they're doing this, and that happens, and no. Though weirdly, I kind of do want to keep going in the series, because there are a couple of the brothers that I want to see how their relationships work out when they get there. Yeah. And the next thing I read, I squeezed Teen Titans Beast Boy by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo into my reading for the week. It's book number two in the Teen Titans graphic novel series and a 2020 release. I rated this one 3.5 stars. I really enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as Teen Titans Raven. I kind of figured that was going to be the case, but knowing that they're going to make one that's the two of their stories lining up together, it's kind of important. Yeah, yeah. And in this graphic novel, we see Garfield's origin story and explore his powers. And 
some of the things I like eventually became things that I disliked. Like the fact that you see the societal pressure for him to worry about his height and his weight and his physique and all this other stuff that you normally don't see male characters dealing with. And normally it's just the girls who deal with that in media. So it was good to see it. But then he stopped taking this medication that his parents had him on. And all of a sudden he grows and he gets the physique that he wanted. And like, he's not questioning it. He's not freaking out like I would be. He's not asking his parents about the medication he was on. I was going to be like, what did you have me on, mom and dad? What the hell? And he's just going with it and is like, I don't know, but I like it, so I'm not going to question it. And I'm like, you're becoming kind of an arrogant jerk, and I don't like that. Yeah. But I do like his powers, and I liked what he was trying to use his powers for in the graphic novel. I don't love that in these graphic novels, the kids are like, I'm going to go out and meet someone who can help me learn about my powers. And the adults in their lives are just like, okay, bye. Because hell no. Well, and secondly, like, but you got to understand, like, if you're an adult and you don't have powers or you don't know anybody that would have something like that, what are you supposed to say? Like, oh, okay, let's go over it right now. Let's talk about it. I would say we will go out together to figure out your powers. I'm not letting a 17-year-old boy go find some dude who says he knows something about it. No. Yeah. So that's just me being a grown adult reading things that are YA. And then I read Chamber of Secrets for my Harry Potter reread. After I finished that, I started Blood Red Road by Moira Young. I didn't think I would finish it, but it's actually a pretty quick read despite the editing, I guess, format. I don't know what you would call it. The grammar, the spelling. The dialect. The bad phonetics. But this is book number one in the Dustland series. It's a 2011 release, and it's a YA slash new adult dystopian novel. It kind of rides the line there on which age range. I ended up reading it three stars, so it was okay, but it wasn't great. In this one, Saba and her family live in a dried up wasteland where four horsemen capture her twin brother, Lou. She's then forced to find her way in the lawless, ugly reality outside her world in order to rescue him. And then I wrote the dialect on this one, though, (laughs) because, man, basically whatever a typical Southerner sounds like in a TV show or a movie, it's exactly how the narration was written and the dialogue. And I feel like it was kind of easy for me to read just because, like, I grew up hearing people talk like that. Not everyone, but some people talk like that. So I wasn't confused about what they were trying to say. But at the same time, it was so annoying. Yeah. And it didn't help that as far as the formatting goes, there are no quotations around dialogue. So some of the time you don't know if she's actually talking or if she's thinking to herself or if someone's talking to her or she's thinking to herself. Is it just the narration? Who knows? And like, I thought that one book earlier this year was really annoying because it just had one line right at the start of the dialogue to say it was dialogue, but this is worse. Yeah, I I know that multiple times you complained to me about how that it was written, and I'm just like, I felt bad for you at a certain point, but... And like, for the most part, it was actually okay to explore this like lawless land and how it worked and... Through the traveling that she has to do in order to find her brother, you see a couple things happen that you could understand why the world is the way it is and explore it. And I enjoyed that for the most part, but something just in the overall plot didn't click for me. And like that has nothing to do with like the format and the dialect and everything else. Just like by the time I got to the end, it felt like it took way too long to get there. And it felt like it was really drug out plot point to plot point by the time I got there. And so the pacing was just weird. I think I've realized that I need to not listen to certain booktubers' recommendations when it comes to books that they read when they originally came out that are more than 10 years old. Because this is like the seventh or eighth one I've read that's at least 10 years old that I'm reading on a booktuber's recommendation that I'm like, three stars, less than three stars. Yeah, it's clearly becoming a problem or a pattern of just blasé recommendations. Well, also, they have like a layer of nostalgia to it that I don't have because I'm just now reading it for the first time. That's true. But as for what I plan on reading next, I'm going to attempt to read three books. 
I only will probably get to like two and a half, which is fine. The first one is Wind Sparks Fly by Helena Hunting. This is one that I'm reading through NetGalley. It's set to be released on September 21st, and it is a standalone adult romance. Avery and her sisters run the Spark House, which is the premier event space slash hotel in Colorado Springs. She loves her work, her condo, her whole life, and everything in life is going really well for her until she's in a car accident that leaves her immobile for weeks. As these weeks go on, the lines begin to blur with her roommate who has been taking care of her. So it's like a friends to lovers or roommate to lovers. Oh my God, they were roommates sort of thing. <laughs> oh my God, they're roommates? That's a trope everyone loves. Is it? Don't play around. We live. Why? Because it's good. Okay. Okay. And I actually started this one last night. I got about 60 pages in and literally... That last chapter I read, I started tearing up like I was about to cry. And I'm like, what is happening? How am I already about to cry? First of all, it's contemporary. It's romance. And like, I am not very far into this book. I'm less than 20% into this book. How am I about to cry right now? (laughs) So I've never read from this author before. I have heard of people enjoying her work, but I just haven't picked anything up from her. And... After that, I'm like, do I need to read all of this author's backlist? Because, like, getting me to almost cry at less than 60 pages is a feat. It does sound like it would be pretty tough to do that quickly. Yeah. It's like a lot of times you're still at that point building characters, like, attachment, period, like, let alone. Well, like, like backstory sometimes. When I read a new book, when I'm starting a new book or series or something, I make myself read 50 pages in one sitting so that I can like get grounded and like meet the characters and figure out what's happening and how this world works. And I feel like you need a minimum of 50 pages to understand where you are and what's happening. So the fact that only 10 more pages than that got an emotional reaction from me, I'm like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. (laughs) Who am I? Who is this? What is going on? Right. So I'm excited to finish that this week. I'm also going to read Arch Enemies by Marissa Meyer. I'm rereading it for the podcast because you will be reading it. A portion of it, at least. It's book number two in the Renegade series and a 2018 release. It's a YASFF novel is how I put it because is it science fiction? Is it fantasy? Kind of blurs the lines. Because it's not tech. It's kind of inherent. Who knows? I was going to say it leans more towards like the fantasy, like comic style storyline. But for the synopsis for this one, I tried to keep it from giving away too much. Makes sense. Anarchist Nova goes undercover in the Renegades to try to take them down from the inside. There are superheroes with unique superpowers and teenagers actually acting like teenagers, which is nice. I'm looking at Oscar because he's the most teenagery of them all. Yeah, so far, especially. What'd you say last time? Food and the ladies? Yeah, that's all he cares about. Yeah. And maybe his cane because he needs it to get around. And beating up the bad guys. That's yeah. four things. Oof. Maybe he doesn't act like a real teenager. <laughs> and then the third thing I want to try to get into, I'm wanting to kind of get in the spooky mood, try to think fall thoughts so the weather will stop being over 100 degrees every day, is The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. It's book number one in either a duology or a series. It wasn't really clear on Goodreads what this is going to be. It's a 2021 release. It came out earlier this year. And it's a YA mystery slash thriller inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. I feel like you've told me about this book before. In a new release section this year, yes. Yeah. This mystery novel dives into the question of where the Montour parents have gone. Tress Montour's parents disappeared seven years ago when they were driving her best friend home. Felicity Tornado has climbed the social ladder since then and has worked hard to make sure everyone forgot that she was with the Montours when they disappeared. Tress will have her answers or she will have her revenge. Dun, dun, dun. Right, right, yes. (laughs) I am there for that. You don't even know. Oh, I know. But I don't know that I'll be able to finish it because Arch Enemies is kind of long and... That one is also a little longer. It's almost 400 pages, so 
I'll see how far I can get into that one before we record again. Sounds like a plan. But then we get to move on to what I read this week. What did you read this week? That book right there in your hands, Renegades, the back third of the book, which was good. I would say it was better than the middle third of the book. Yeah. I, Sorry, I got to say that last line in the middle third, though, A+. plus. Yes, but the last chapter of the book, like A++. Right, right. Yeah. Where we just left off, they had done the spying at the library or whatever you want to call it, trying to figure out if the librarian is selling weapons. Right. That all goes to hell. Literally, there are the fires of hell happening in this library. Yeah. Because of Ingrid's stunt, everyone living in the subway tunnels has to evacuate. Ingrid is basically thrown out of the anarchists because Leroy is like, I'm not having it. You just keep doing all these stupid things. So Leroy and Honey go back in his car to Nova's house to unpack, and Nova is wandering the city, and she listened to the sounds of a city in distress and did nothing, which is nice. Good writing, A+. (laughs) And then the next day, Adrian and his whole team have to go speak to the council because they're in trouble. They're on trial in air quotes. Like, they're not really like in a lot of trouble but they're still in trouble i would say they're not on trial i would say it's more like going into the principal's office than anything it's just you have five principals that's a fair comparison yeah they talk about what happened at the library and why it went down the way that it did yeah why they went in so on and so forth like well we saw her go in there and and nova brings up the sentinel all of that fun stuff And they end up deciding that they are basically not allowed to patrol for a few days. Is that correct? As their punishment? The council decides that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then Adrian is making a request, which, not good timing for that, but he does. And he wants to question Winston Pratt, the puppeteer. And also they get Nova to do some data entry while they're on... uh, Since she can't sleep, she might as well, right? Yeah. And Adrian and Nova then go from there to visiting Max, who I love and I love seeing. Yeah, but I've learned how troublesome he can actually be, though, too. Is he troublesome? He absorbs people's powers. Yes, that's troublesome. I mean, if she had just minded the quarantine, it would have been fine. But that comes later. I'm trying to remember if they actually give her any new information there besides working on his city. She does find out that Max's parents are dead. And Max is like, they threw me off the bridge. And I'm like, right. why are you so cheerful telling that story? Yeah, being thrown off the bridge isn't usually the first choice for somebody to make. Nova thinks that he was born to non-prodigies, and that's why they did it, because they were afraid of prodigies. But turns out they were villains and part of the roaches, who yeah. we have heard about before. Yeah, they've been killed away. Yeah. She does find out that Captain Chromium doesn't have to wear one of those suits to visit Max. Yeah, because of his chrome core, basically, it just stops it somehow. I don't understand how that really works, because it's still a power, technically. I think of it the way that I think of Wolverine, and how it's, like, lining his bones and him, and that, like, you couldn't take that away from Wolverine without, like, a bunch of surgery. It's true. They also talk about Lady Indomitable and how she died, which it's like, if she can fly, how did she die from falling? It does raise some questions. At least a few. They also have a run-in with Magpie, who is the little thief from the parade. And he's like, been making good choices lately? It's like, what sitcom do you think you are on, Adrian? Right. Magpie has little sleek hands to steal the things that will never stop. Yeah. But she's delivering a message saying that the council approved his request to interview the puppeteer. And Nova tries to worm her way out of it because, obviously, he doesn't know what she's doing and she doesn't want him to give her away. Yeah, we don't want to uh, see, oh, and this is Nova. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) And Adrian thinks she's afraid of him, so she kind of plays on that. But the interview that they have is weird Like, it's obviously kids interviewing a grown man. Kind of weird. And they're not very good at it because they have no experience. Whatsoever, period. But it turns out he doesn't give her away. 
Which, you know, more than you can ask for when it comes to an anarchist. Well, especially considering she threw him out of the freaking container, and that's the reason he's caught in the first place. Right. But he does say that she likes to go to the Cosmo... Cosmo... Cosmopolis Park. Yep. I don't know why that was so hard to say. And he's like, you're telling me Nightmare likes to stay at an amusement park? That makes no sense. It's like he's coming up with lies. It's hard to do. But he does reveal that Ace Anarchy actually brought in Nightmare. And they're like, but she was a child when that battle happened. Like, and? But they realize they really don't get anything out of that whole interview with the puppeteer. In fairness, he doesn't really know enough to do anything other than maybe just rat out. Oh, that's it. Yeah. And a few nights later, Nova is doing the data input for the renegades, and she's finally getting information, not a lot, just here and there, by looking through everything. And she realizes that some of the weapons that she's looking through have to do with her family's murder and, like, is going through all this stuff and connecting some dots. But when she tries to get into photos of the crime scene, it asks for a password. She doesn't have one. And while she's still in there looking at things, doing stuff, she sees Max and notes that he's levitating and a lot of pieces of his city are levitating as well. And, like, it's not common for people who have that power to be able to float multiple things at once because... It takes a lot of focus and probably a lot of power. Yeah. yeah. And she's looking back over Max's stuff and notes that his alias is the bandit, his ability is absorption, and she's not really sure what that means, but she feels like she should know, which she will, because when Max notes Nova looking down at him... He sort of, like, loses all concentration, falls into his glass city, gets a glass skyscraper through his hand. So she rushes down there to help him and breaks quarantine, which you shouldn't do. In fairness, nobody ever warned her properly, so... He's in a quarantine. They say to wear those suits. Like, I feel like that's enough of a warning. (laughs) Nova's trying to help him. He's trying to back as far away from her as he can because he doesn't want to hurt her, and she ends up passing out. At the same time as all that was happening, back on the streets of Gatlin, you had Adrian going to get her sandwiches, which was super cute. How'd you say that? Sandwiches? Sandwiches. Got them sandwiches. Yeah. Super sweet. Multiple ones because he was concerned about which one she was actually going to like. Isn't that cute? Yeah. That's very cute. I'm just going to bring you home, like, eight sandwiches one day. That's a waste of money. You know what I like. Peanut butter and jelly. That's it. That's one. He sees that there's sort of chaos. People are reacting to Max pounding on the glass of his quarantine and Nova being passed out on the floor. So he goes up into the quarantine, goes in there to get her. He starts reacting to Max's powers. So he has to use some of his secret powers to get to Nova and get her out the door. Yeah, the springy feats came in handy to getting him closer and then eventually out the door. Do you think he could have done that with a tigger tail instead? It would have been weirder, I feel like, because he would have to, like, lean back and then been like, spring! That's just what the springy feet make me think of. Yeah. But while they're trying to deal with, you know, getting Max help, getting Nova help, Adrian is still dealing with the fact that he's got this, like, weird feeling in his hands and he feels like something's gone wrong. He's able to prove that he still has his powers just by drawing something and pulling it into life. And he's like, I'm good. So no one cares about watching him or trying to take care of him anymore. Right. Nova's and Nova's power, power, you're not going to be able to tell, has come back for hours unless she... Possibly days because it could just be weaker and maybe not just the same strength. And, you know. and unless she's willing to like out her other power, right. she, there's no way to prove it. And so she has to be contained into the medical wing for observation. And Dana visits her. And there's this sweet moment of them, like, bonding that I enjoyed. For the most part, Dana's not my favorite of the renegades of their patrol team. And so I just think this is a really, like, sweet moment of her visiting and they're discussing problems with their powers and how Dana's powers specifically work with the swarm and everything. But then Nova kind of doesn't like the way that Dana's questions are getting toward her. 
And so she decides, well, I'm just going to figure out for myself if my powers are back. So she's like, I think you're getting warm. And when she goes to feel Dana... Knocks her out. Ends up knocking her out. And she's like, well, obviously I'm fine. I can leave. Uh, Yeah. But you still can't prove that to the doctor. (laughs) Yeah. And so Nova decides that she's going to leave the hospital and leaves Dana there to be cared for by the medical staff. Saying that she passed out because she looked like she was unwell. (laughs) Which honestly was one of my favorite scenes in the book so far. Well, and it's her being an actual villain. And, like, I approve because morally great characters are my favorite. Yeah. And you see a cute moment between Adrian and Max where they're discussing... Adrian losing part of his power, Max getting some of it, and they're showing each other how to do things. And, and he makes cute. the jello blob of glass. He tried so hard. Yeah. And Max is like, I saw you fly. He's like, I didn't fly. He's like, it looks like you have the same powers as the Sentinel. I'm not stupid. Yeah. Which, solid point, Max. It's just funny that somebody who's really shut in like him is capable of noticing, but everybody else around him is like, nah. Well, they didn't see that moment in the quarantine. Only Max did. But at the same time, it's like, he watches the news. He pays yeah. attention. Just because he's not there face-to-face. Doesn't mean he's not as knowledgeable on the subject at all. But he does broach the question of, can the Sentinel give himself any power? Because he's hoping for some sort of way to be able to actually spend time with his family. He wants the Sentinel to give himself invincibility. Yeah. Like what Captain Chromium has. How would you draw that, though? Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I cannot say things here. Would In the just, next chapter. I was going to say, would you just draw like a stick figure over yourself and be like, no, I'm invincible. We see Nova then go up to the council offices. And this is the moment that we find out that maybe what we thought we knew about the Battle of Gatlin is not correct. Right. Because she's... Looking at the artifacts that are up there, she's looking at the painting that's up there, and she ends up having a conversation with Sketch's dad, not Captain Chromium, the other one. Uh, Dread Warden. Yes. And she realizes that the helmet that they have on display is not the real helmet. It's just something they take out to, like, lift people's spirits or whatever. I was going to say, there's only, like, one thing missing from it would be, like, a Made in China sticker slapped on it. Right. But Simon ends up explaining to her that they've got it, the real one, locked up at the Renegade's tower. So, like, she has nothing to worry about. But in her head, she's like, but I want it. Where is it? How can I get to it? Yeah. He's like, well, maybe if you made a really great bribe to the people in weapons and artifacts. They let you have a quick look at it. Right. She also finds out, like, for sure, Simon tells her, about Max being at the Battle of Gatlin because she realizes that he got some of his power from Ace Anarchy. Ace Anarchy. Yeah. So, but she goes back to her home, the really rundown place. And Honey's got all of her hives set back up. Honey seems to be very happy living above ground. Go figure. But she also runs into Ingrid outside. They start setting up a plot to kill Fake each their other. Deaths. They kill each other. Yeah. 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 She's explaining it that it would get them off of the anarchist backs. It would get them off of Nightmare's back and leave Ingrid alone because she's caused a lot of damage recently. Right. Everybody starts from scratch, basically. But they don't really get to finish that conversation because Ingrid points out that someone is coming up to Nova's house. And we all know who that someone is. It's the overly attached wannabe boyfriend, Adrian. Yes. I like them together, though, the idea of them together. They're both very morally gray. I was kind of right there with you a little bit until the stuff that he does at the park. Yeah. Which we'll get to here momentarily. Yeah. And they have a really awkward, like, conversation in the kitchen. And he's like, let's go check out the amusement park and see if we can find out anything. Because it's been, like, a week since we've talked to the puppeteers and we've got nothing. And so they make plans to meet up the next day. While they're there, it's really funny because Nova comes in her renegade's outfit but adrian's just like in street clothes yeah she's thinking that they're going to hunt things down and he's like we're just gonna hang out at the amusement park well for him it it was his attempt at asking her on a date and like she doesn't know it at first and she realizes it pretty swiftly after that i i feel like i've been there in adrian's shoes once before so like 
I, I feel you, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. sometimes you just get a little too nervous and you just don't make that right decision. I, I was dating somebody for, like, a month before I even, like, put the two and two together. I was like, we just started hanging out without our friends. Stupid me. Good Pretty old, sure that's dating. Good old middle school freshman year, Stephen. Fun times. But they decide to go around and, like, play the games and eat the food. And I'm like, Nova, right. are you not paying any attention? What's happening? Yeah. Like, he's losing these games... Maybe on purpose, and then also not. Well, like, I mean, we have seen for sure before that he's a bad shot. Yes. So, like, it could just be he's bad. Yeah. But she ends up winning a bunch of prizes that she trades in for a gigantic Dread Warden doll that she gives to Adrian, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, you can give this to your dad. Mm-hmm. I would have just left him, like, in a chair facing the entrance. So, like, when <laughs> my dad came home, he'd just be like, whoa. It's, it's myself. Me. Yeah. It's like, funny. Holy crap. He's going to give it to him for his birthday, so that's cute. They do have a conversation about the renegades and anarchists and, like, the politics dealing with villains and superheroes and getting to the bottom of, like, people need to be more self-reliant and not just expect that the renegades are going to do everything for them like they did at the library and where they need to have better political structure and more, like, of a police force and... Fire departments, like, happened before the prodigies came along. Yeah, like a hero school so that people could want to become, like, police officers or firefighters. and Right. Like, you, heroes. you may not be fit out to be a superhero, but you could be on the police force or you could work for the fire department. Like, you don't have to Yeah. let that be the end of your story there. And she does say that there shouldn't be any prodigies at all. Which I feel like that's taking it a little too far. I kind of like these superpowers that these guys have. And not that I, th- I think she wants to get rid of prodigies necessarily. She just doesn't want them to be prevalent in power right. or around. They shouldn't have all this control. Right. Doesn't say. Well, I don't remember it being quite that dark. <laughs> Away with all the prodigies. They'll be like, well, you're one. Oh. And they end up running into a bunch of kids at a birthday party, and it leads to another really cute scene that I enjoy. I actually really enjoyed that scene as well. I thought it was quite funny and silly. And I like how they're like, it's her, the girl from the trials who beat Gargoyle. And so it's not even like Adrian, who's the son of two of the council. But at the same time, he's not in uniform. He's in normal clothes. And the party is superhero themed. So they're like, come have some cake, whatever. And Adrian ends up drawing a bunch of toys and stuff for the children. And their requests, of course, get more and more ridiculous because children. Right. And a treehouse th- with a cannon. <laughs> right. A cannon and a moat. Yeah. And I think she ends up finding herself, Nova, enjoying this more than she expected. And I think that really brings, like, sort of conflicting emotions for her. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm not supposed to, like, superheroes. I'm not supposed to enjoy being a renegade and all this other stuff. But this is the moment when they reach the part of the carnival where Nova has started to place little clues for Adrian and Nova to find so that they can get to the big, like, theatrical moment between her and Ingrid. So they end up following this trail to the old funhouse. And it sounds really creepy, and I would never go in there. Ever. The, I really enjoyed fun houses as a kid, so that would be right up my alley. Mm-hmm. But they go through the fun house and go through some of the things that are just creepy and weird because it's a fun house, but they also have some things that are creepy and weird because Nova made it creepy and weird. And it's all to lead Adrian to a certain point so that she can separate from him, change into her nightmare outfit, and have that big confrontation with Ingrid. The, like... Theatrical confrontation that they have is pretty over the top and like obviously fake. Yeah. Like whoever wrote that dialogue needs work. I think it was supposed to be written that way though, and Adrian was just supposed to be so stupid that he didn't realize that's what it was. Right. And then like obviously Ingrid set up traps literally everywhere in the theme park. Well, yeah, because she didn't actually want to have them both pretend to kill each other. She wanted to actually kill Nightmare Nova. Yeah. 
and also wipe out everyone who's at the amusement park because she's just at the point where she's going to do what she wants to do. Not that she hasn't been doing that the whole book, but whatever. Well, the reality is at this point, I think it's just that, like, they pushed her out, and therefore she's like, well, fine, I'm a lone wolf. I'll do anything I want at this point. Like, I don't even care, period. And she goes over the top with it. Nova does end up laying out the pieces of her outfit that make it look like she's dead, supposedly, and disappears. But the detonator does set off a couple of the bombs that she has done. And that's when Nova sort of reappears and shoots her because literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are going to die if they don't manage to stop her bombs from going off. Right. And the way that the bombs work is she can detonate them from anywhere with a thought, so she doesn't really need anything to do them. And it seems like Nova's really stunned, and she's just saying over and over again, I pulled the trigger, because that had been, like, a running theme throughout this. It's like she can never just, like, do the thing, can never just pull the trigger. And at this point, you've got the council who have shown up to deal with the bombs and everything else. Just in time to not do anything. Just kidding. Let's say they tried to save people before the bombs went off. Right, right. But after this whole confrontation is over and Nova is with the council and Adrian, they're sort of walking away from the scene, the Dread Warden kind of lets slip information that he shouldn't. About that shot they're working on? Because they're working on something called Agent N. Basically, it's something where all prodigies are going to be renegades or they won't have powers. And, like, to Nova, this is an extreme. It's an overstretch. Right. But they don't really get into it, except that she asked Adrian if he's ever heard of it, and he said he's heard it mentioned a few times and that it has something to do with Max, but that was all he knew. Right. Which kind of makes sense. He's just a kid of the two parents. It's not like he's in on everything. But, you know, he checks on her, tries to see if she was injured, And then he's trying to ask her out, which is a little clumsy, but also he's a teenage boy, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, the timing wasn't fantastic, to say the least. And he goes to kiss her, but she sort of backs away and runs off back to her house with an excuse because she is awkward and uncomfortable and possibly might have feelings for a renegade, which would be a problem for an anarchist. Yeah, to say the least. But we do see Nova go down to the subways after that and take the tunnel from there to the cathedral that has been destroyed at the Battle of Gatlin. And she's thinking about everything that had happened and Agent N and her feelings for Adrian and everything else that's been going on over the past couple of weeks or months. And she runs into Phobia. He ends up saying a line that makes you think... That one of the anarchists had something to do with Adrian's mother's death. Yeah. And then Nova continues on after meeting up with him, and she ends up meeting up with her uncle, Ace Anarchy. Who we thought was dead, but isn't. Who was thought to be dead, yeah. And she's talking about how the renegades have his helmet, and it's not destroyed, and they can come up with a plan to get it back. Yeah. End of book one. To start book two this week. Yes, you're going to do another third of it. But what would you rate this? I would say probably like three, five, somewhere in that range. Three, six. I really liked it. A, a 3.5? Well, I I always rate things too high, so I'm starting to try to rate things lower. I'm just going to say when I first read this, I rated it five stars. So you're kind of breaking my heart. Like, I liked, I, I really liked the book. I'm looking forward to the second one. I think my rating might adjust just based on, like, what comes together full story. Because, like, where it left me at, I'm like, I want more. But at the same time, I'm a little upset that that's the way the book ended. But I understand why it did. It's part of a series. That's yeah. how series work. Yeah. Right? That just reminds me of Amazon reviews. They're like, you don't get a wrap-up to this story at the end of the first book. And so I'm not going to continue with the series. Well, thank you for making me feel like a piece of trash. I appreciate it. That's not what I meant. Just reminded me of that. Not that it's the same. I know you probably wanted a few more answers, but not that you want everything wrapped up. I don't. I know there's a second book. If everything got wrapped up in the first book, I wouldn't read the second book. Exactly. 
but I hope you have a better time in the next book. Again, I think I've been rating things too high previously, and that's why I'm rating this lower than that. I'm just trying to find, like, a middle ground, I guess. Because, like, the reality is, like, a lot of those Harry Potter books don't deserve four stars, and I gave a lot of them four stars. So, like, and a lot of the other books we've read should have been, like, maybe high threes. Mm -hmm. You know? The reality of it all is I will probably end up rating it, like, a low four more than likely by the time it's all said and done. But as it sits right now, that's where I'm at. Okay. And you can hate me for it. I don't. All right. But otherwise, guys, I think that's going to wrap this episode up. We will catch you next Tuesday for hopefully a shorter sports episode than last week. Uh, I doubt it. But in the meantime, make sure you're staying connected with us on all of our social media. It will be linked in the show notes down below. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.